This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. You know, over the last decade, streaming has totally changed the face of TV. Netflix has revolutionized the way that we watch. And old school networks like NBC and CBS have begun their own streaming platforms just to keep up. And it's all led to this moment where there is more stuff to watch than ever before. Truly. Ever. Last year on all the platforms, there were 559 scripted English language shows. A record. But in all this abundance, there are some big questions. Namely, who actually gets to make a show more often than not? And which shows stick around? This is it. Take, for instance, One Day at a Time. This show bounced around and around from platform to platform until it was canceled twice. One Day at a Time was the reboot of the 1970s sitcom by Norman Lear. It's all about a single mom and her two teens. In the original, this family was white. But in the 2017 reboot, the family was Cuban-American. Mom, and this one, I don't like her anymore. (laughs) I don't care if you like me. Sounds like you're both on the same page. Your daughter does not want to have a kinsis. What? Why, we already booked the room, and I found a great band. Okay, it's a DJ. Okay, it's your brother with an iPod and a playlist, but it's a very good playlist. Gloria Calderon-Kellett was one of the creators of the remake. And she was one of the only Latina showrunners working in American TV back then in 2017. In this show, it was loved by fans and critics. But still, after three seasons, Netflix canceled it. Fans made a ruckus, and then one day at a time, got picked up by Pop TV in 2020. But then the show was canceled again after one more season. Gloria says she was surprised by how fans reacted. I was so moved that when One Day at a Time got canceled, there was such an outpouring of love. Like, that really surprised me, to be honest. And I think spoke to to this community that feels so starved for, for authentic representation. But flash forward to now and the list of canceled TV shows that were led or created by or featured Latinos, it's gotten pretty long. Pintified. People love discovering new things. No, we've been here, fool. On my block. Loyalty trumps victory, compa. Vita. After we bury mommy, we can both go back to not talking, but for today, just please. On and on. Gloria wants to change that. She is focused not only on making her shows, but also helping other Latinx creators make and sustain their own. Gloria's latest show is a multi-generational rom-com called With Love. It's out now on Amazon Prime Video. And in a fun twist, every episode takes place on a different holiday. First, it's Christmas, then New Year's, and of course, Valentine's Day. You're coming with us. Don't you want to be alone with your beautiful girlfriend on Valentine's Day? Ooh, okay, Santi, I see you. Look, I know what y'all are trying to do, all right? Just let me finish the chair. Ay, por favor. Ven con nosotros y rompe la monotonia de ver la cara de este hombre todo No, 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 no. Gloria and I are going to talk about With Love in this chat. But we're also going to talk about what it's like to continually fight to make TV by, for, and about Latinos. And how she copes with it all. First, more on With Love. So, this show is all about joy. And you've talked about wanting to make shows... 
with people like you experiencing joy. And that has been the North Star for this show with love uh, and also with your previous show, One Day at a Time. What makes you want to do that? I was thinking about that, writing these questions for the chat. And I was like, you know what's interesting about TV right now? A lot of stuff is not joyful at all. No. Like, I just binge-watched Ozark the other weekend, and I was like, this is dark. dark. <laughs> yeah. How hard is it for you to keep making joy well, in TV? Well, I think that's why we need it, right? Like, I, And look, mm. I, lo- I love watching those shows, too. I love Succession. Obsessed. Obsessed with it. Yes. Uh, and that's yes. dark. That's dark. That's a family <laughs> so not dark. like each other. Uh, but for me, it was really... For a multitude of reasons, right? It was like you said, there was this was there was a global pandemic and we were all (laughs) experiencing all of this sort of, uh, you know, shared trauma of not being able to leave our houses and wearing masks and waiting for vaccines and all of that. And I was going to television for like a little reprieve and I couldn't find any (laughs) because like you Mm -hmm. said, everything was really dark. And I kind of went to the rom-coms, you know, that I grew up with, the one Harry Sally's and Elf. And I kind of was in that space. And I yeah. and I thought that plus uh, my Instagram feed, you know, for the last few years has been pretty dark, too. It's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, black and brown and queer and Asian bodies in trauma and hate mm-hmm. crimes and discussions about race and all of this stuff that's great that it's coming to the service and we're finally talking about it, but a lot of violence, a lot of darkness. So it was like, oh, I think that maybe the salve for this moment is to see people like these people that are currently experiencing the most trauma, seeing them enjoy. Which character from With Love is your favorite personally? And oh, why? my gosh. That's like asking me who my favorite kid is. They're and all, everyone has a favorite kid, I, even no, if they don't say that's, it. That's really not, I don't think that's true. Oh. I think that okay. you have a favorite kid on the day, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like that day you might like one more than the other. But like in general, I'm being dead serious. Okay. I really do like I hear you. the same. I, I promise you. you. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, for, for many reasons, I love, you know, I the matriarchy of my family was so strong. The women in my family were so strong, which is why. On one day at a time, I focused really on these on these three generations of women. And what was really beautiful about With Love is while we do also obviously focus on three generations of women as well, we also really get the men. I was just thinking about how all of a sudden you're this grown man in a healthy relationship and I had nothing to do with any of it. No, I, I'm sorry if I failed you. I couldn't help you with all the gay love stuff. I didn't know how. <laughs> Where do you think that I learned how to be a good partner? It was from watching you and... And see their vulnerability and their uh, multitudes. And so, you know, we are... Latinos are almost 20% of the U.S. population, and we are 5% of what is on television. And those 5% are still largely stereotyped roles. Uh, There's no television right now that's mainstream on network with the exception of Promised Land, which just premiered, that centers on a Latino family. And when, Mm. you know, America Ferreira said this quote recently when she was publicizing Hentified, which sadly just got canceled, she said, growing up, not seeing yourself on television is like growing up in a house where none of your photos are on the wall. And that Mm. really resonated with me because that is how I felt 
You know, she just became a yeah. cover girl, by the way, America Ferrera. And my God, had America Ferrera been a cover girl when I was a young girl, uh, what that yeah. would have done for me, what that yeah. would have done. So then I want to ask you about that. You, know, you have personal experience with this lack of representation in TV and movies. Um, your previous show, One Day at a Time, which centered around a Latinx family, it was canceled even after being critically acclaimed and having a really devoted fan base. And it's part of a number of shows centered on Latinx experience that have been canceled seemingly, I don't know, is arbitrarily the word? But, you know, everyone has a theory about why these things happen. I'm wondering, what is your theory as someone who's lived it? Uh, you know, I, I think that's something I'm, I'm constantly unraveling. Uh, mm. I think that I'm, I'm looking at the Latino audiences and I'm wondering if they are, you know, Latino shows do t- in the 90s and, and aughts. I think that stuff was getting made, but it did not have us at the helm. And mm. as a result, we would come to those shows excited. We would see mm-hmm. something that felt inauthentic. Our hearts would be broken and we walked away feeling kind of devastated, right? Well, and also, you know, I, I think what happens sometimes when shows like yours or content with a majority of people of color on screen in it, it gets labeled black or Latino or this or that. There is this expectation that white viewers might need a disclaimer before they choose to watch this stuff. Right, right. But when I was a kid, as a black, I watched a bunch of white TV and I just it's watched it. Watched. It's because all we watched. Because I could. It's, so Bill, it's so Bill Cosby? That's all we watched. Yes. And it's UPN. Thank God for UPN. Don't you miss UPN? Come on. Oh, I miss it so much. Oh I miss God. all those shows. Yes. These women know success. I'm a real estate broker, keeping it real and trying to keep her from going broker. Sophistication. Don't hate the limo. Hate the fact that you ain't got one. I mean, thank God for those shows. Yes. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Like those, it was so great. All those shows. Yeah. And like my upbringing, I was watching those shows and I was also watching like reruns of the Golden Girls. Yeah. And the whole point about TV is that you can suspend your disbelief and just relate to stories because they're human. And I feel like it seems as if the gatekeepers of streaming TV empires these days almost understand that less than the networks did in the 90s? I think so, And I'm too. like, why is that? What is that, Why Sam? is that? Sam, what is that? You. I don't know. I it's weird, like there I used to be so much content by people of color in the 90s, I felt like. Uh, me, too. I was literally having this conversation the other day with a friend of mine about the 90s. I was like, I feel like I saw so much more representation then. How have we weirdly gone backwards? Yeah. I know. Yeah. We I mean, do you have any find- theory as to why? I... I don't. I don't. I I think that, look, I think the great news about having so many uh, opportunities now, I mean, there's so many shows, there's like 400 shows now, right? Is that we are allowed more opportunity to give people who have not been the center of the story, the microphone. So that's exciting. That that's what allows for the Easter rays, right? That's what allows Mm -hmm. for, for the Rami Malik's like, I'm excited that that gets to happen. But it's not happening nearly enough. And I think, oh, my gosh, COVID, we haven't even talked about COVID. Right now, yeah. what I am hearing is there is nobody I know is selling right now. 
it's it's like wow. dead out there because unless it's IP or a superstar, mm-hmm. and by the mm-hmm. way, now it's not even one superstar. Now you have to have like they got to cram it with like five 10 or superstars. Yeah, yes. you got to have like a ton of superstars, a big fancy producer or IP, or else you're dead in the water. So it's sort of a yeah. miracle. I'm so grateful to Amazon <laughs> for giving for giving little old me uh, an opportunity <laughs> to make something original in this time. Yeah. So you know. There was so much coverage and chatter about the cancellation of your previous show, One Day at a Time. And it was part of what felt like a trend for a while. Latinx shows that were acclaimed and loved getting canceled. Mm-hmm. Antified, Vita, Diary of a Future President. Mm-hmm. Mr. Iglesias. Um, yeah. And, 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 and the universe and, of Ashley Garcia. I know all of them. Yeah, I know all yeah. the ones that got canceled. Those are all my friends. And, yeah. <laughs> And here's what's so, and here's what's hard for me to wrap my head around, it, it, because it feels like in the '90s when a show got canceled, the network would say, "Oh, here are the ratings. They didn't have the ratings. That's why." But in this era of streaming, the metrics aren't public. Netflix doesn't share a bunch of ratings figures. They don't usually share how much money shows make or lose. And I'm not even sure how you would measure that on a streaming platform that has subscriptions. But, like, for you in this business, is it harder or easier to tell why a show gets canceled now than it was 20 years ago? No, it's not. It's not. And Mm. I think that, like, we need to have conversations surrounding that because – from from the from the Latin A perspective, for a long time, what what we were told, certainly at the beginning of my career, was that oh, we want to make stuff about you guys, but there's not enough of you to make it. And when when you do get to make it, it's not great, right? That was sort of the perception mm-hmm. is that our mm-hmm. stuff wasn't as good. So then, with me and Tanya, you know, with Vida and One Day at a Time and Diary and Hentified, like sh- these shows were getting 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. These shows were yeah. critically acclaimed as being yeah. excellent, right? So they yeah. couldn't say that anymore. <laughs> they couldn't say, mm-hmm. oh, it's not good because it's good. Now we're showing we are coming mm-hmm. and we are coming big. So then it would be not enough people are watching, but we're not going to tell you how many people those are. Mm. And so because think- if they told you that, they would have to admit that some of these critically acclaimed white shows that they just keep in perpetuity, they're not getting views either. Correct. And I They don't want to share that data. They don't want to share that data. And I think also – they don't want to talk about marketing, which is the second part mm. of this. Mm. Uh, I I remember, um, you know, Dear White People and uh, and One Day at a Time were the two 100% on Rotten Tomatoes shows for Netflix. And yeah. Justin and I, Justin, who's the, the showrunner for that show, we were at an event talking about our show and there was a LA Times backstage and I got off stage and we were looking at the LA Times and there's a full page ad for The Crown and a full page ad for Stranger Things nothing for our shows we were like oh man i mean i love both those shows too black we should say the show is very black his show and i love the crown and i love stranger things and i get that those are big exciting splash i get it i get it right so like no shade on them i don't want to take away from any of them but boy we would have liked some love too and yeah so that's what's difficult too is like did i get as much promotion as those shows Mm. because Mm. had i would we have gotten as much and i know we're significantly less expensive my goodness and i get it's a business too right it's a business but if networks and studios are committed to speaking to their audience if they are committed Uh to actually doing the work of diversity then it does seem like the the goal lines should be different for all of us i think that they can't treat us as though we are just another show 
and let's throw it against mm. the wall and see what sticks. If they're truly committed, right? If they're truly committed, then you have to say, you know what? We know how difficult it is to make a show. We know how mm-hmm. difficult it is to get something that's critically acclaimed. Maybe we should put a little bit more love and attention into this. Yeah. But look, these places yeah. are their business. And, you know, I loved my time at Netflix. So no shade on Netflix. They, they allowed me to make the show that I wanted to make. And had they said at the beginning, hey, you get to do it for three seasons and that's it, I would have said, yeah, I would have jumped at it. So yeah. I don't regret a moment that I was there. It was the one of the highlights of my life. But there there was like just, you know, trauma surrounding how are we loved and yet not loved, right? Like, mm. um, and it was, it was. That is a story of being a person of color in America. Yeah, just the business, <laughs> loved yeah. and not loved at the same loved time. Loved and not loved Let me at tell the you. same time. And so the Oof. business aspects of it are still ones that I am trying to unravel. Coming up, what Gloria is doing to make sure Latinos are actually heard in Hollywood. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. You know, talking about the problems and getting shows made by us for us on the air and getting them to stay. You've been involved in work to change this problem. Uh, you and America Ferreira and Tanya Siracho co-founded a group called Dear Hollywood. One, what does the acronym Dear stand for? And two, what does a group do? <laughs> it, Dear Hollywood actually stemmed from, so Tanya, who is incredible um, and is just my sister in this process, the, she is the showrunner, was the showrunner of Eden. She has a lot of exciting things in the works. So I'm so excited for Tanya's next project. Uh, yeah. She she first kind of founded this little advocacy group of showrunners that were women, that were Latinas, that so we could come together and just sort of, you know, commiserate and bitch about our problems and, you know, ask who, who are the production heads? Because, you know, we are really committed to on-camera diversity, of course, but also behind the scenes. There's 200 yeah. jobs on a set. And we want we want money to be made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's money to be made. And there's a lot of people in our community that don't know these jobs exist. So we're really trying to support uh, bringing up the next generation of Latino executives, as well as people behind the scenes for department heads and, and, you know, starting to build a community uh, of diversity behind the the scenes as well. So one day uh, we were really considering it's, it's another season where no shows 
uh, about us are out there and that we're reading a couple of shows that are Latino led, but run by white people without Latinos at the helm to help them. And this concerns us. And so we wrote a letter called Dear Hollywood, and we asked all of the other writers, Latino writers that we knew, over 200 Latino writers who signed their name to it um, to talk about sort of the problems that we see and the solutions that we would like to provide. Mm-hmm. And we put it out there. And I would love to say that it set the world on fire and made people really excited, but it didn't kind of nobody cared. <laughs> oh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't feel good about it, Sam. I don't feel good about it. <laughs> now, there was a lot going on in the world at the time. So um, and and the problem is we are also build. We're building the houses we live in it. Right. We're building this infrastructure. But we realized we needed help. Yeah. So. This group has five pillars. One, no stories about us without us. Two, greenlight our projects. Three, represent all aspects of our lives and culture. Four, put a limit on repeating levels. And five, hire us for non-Latinx projects. Which of those five pillars do you think will be the hardest for capital H Hollywood to fully realize? Greenlight our projects. Why? Because... Every year, you get the big headline, and it's, you know, I don't know, maybe two or three Latino projects that each network is buying. Mm -hmm. And usually what happens is, oh, sorry, Latino projects. Sorry, projects about people Mm -hmm. of color. You guys didn't make it through. Maybe next year. And then it's the same old, same old, right? Mm -hmm. So that tells me, well, Mm -hmm. if you've bought three and that didn't get made. Next year, you got to buy 10. Mm. Next mm. year, you got to buy 15. So mm-hmm. that we have a better shot of one of those getting through to green light a pilot to hopefully yeah. go into to series picked up for 13 episodes. So mm-hmm. it just seems like we have to increase the numbers in order to get the green light on the other side. Same with movies. It's simple I mean, math. There are no it's simple math. It's yeah. simple math. If you are committed, if you are truly committed to diversity and inclusion and representing what America really looks like, then you got to buy more. And that's not just Come Latino. On. That's that is black. That is Asian. My God, how many there's I can't think of an Asian show on television right now. Fresh off the boat is gone. There's yeah. work to be done across yeah. the board in terms of diversity. There was a beautiful show called Speechless that centered on a family that had a special needs son gone. You know, like I like more that of, show. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. did too. <laughs> yeah. How how do you have a show like that on the air and see how much good it's doing in the world and say, nope, we're gonna take that off so we can put on this show about, you know, a heavy set white guy and his super hot wife. Really? You know, like <laughs> we haven't we seen that show five hundred times? Okay. I've seen that show. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a certain level of visibility and power right now in the industry and are able to get stuff green lit and make stuff. But you came up in writers' rooms and when you didn't have that much power. Oh, yeah. And you've talked about the racism <laughs> that you experienced. Yeah. I'm just curious, how bad was it? You know, I'm. Uh, it, it's so weird to look back on it now because mm-hmm. when you sit down for those meetings, Everyone knew, right? It would be like, hey, it's rough in there, right? It's going to get rough sometimes. Can you handle it? It wasn't mm. like no one was pretending <laughs> that wow. that these were like super safe, warm and cozy places. It was, hey, sometimes wow. it's going to get rough. Can you handle it? So there was sort of a, 
there was sort of a feeling of like, okay, well, I know what I'm getting into and I agreed to it. I, I, I said, mm. yes. So I, I'm yeah. a little bit like, plus the, the weight of when you're the only person of color in a room, there's a weight of, I don't want to be the, the one that, that gets kicked out. And then they go, eh, we uh. tried, we tried, uh -huh. we tried hiring that Latina and she was just a real buzzkill for us. Uh -huh. so, right. So there's a, a pressure of I'm in the, I somehow managed to get into this room with amazing, smart, talented people. How do I stay in the room? And how do I find a way to do good enough so that they hire more after me? Yeah. You know, in every yeah. room I was in, there were wonderful people, wonderful people in every room. You got to find your allies wherever you are. And I had wonderful people in every room I was in, mm -hmm. but in the spaces where it got difficult, you know, you go into the bathroom, you cry it out, you splash a little water on your face, you go back in. That was what, mm. that was what it was for a period of time, but it was tricky. It was tricky. Yeah. And, and, um, I really kept my eye on the prize, which was one day, one day I'm going to be sitting in that chair. There you go. One day I it's going it. to be me. And I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I read in one New York times piece about you that at one point someone in a writer's room called you and another Latina writer spick and span. Spick and span, that's right. Yep. My God. And <laughs> then you, because you're a better human than I, you said it didn't bother me. I just found it ridiculous. Had that been me, maybe we would have we would have fought like <laughs> Vaseline I, on my cheeks. We're going. Well, because that at that point, in that moment, that was the least worst thing I'd heard. I'd heard so much worse. That I was like, oh, yeah. speak and span. Ha, okay, I am speak, you are span. Ha, ha, ha. Let's move on. Like, I had learned okay. the way to deal with it at the time, which I don't recommend to anybody. But at the time was, mm. I make a joke, and then I go, let's move on. Right? And then we yeah. get to move on. And I can just move on because I don't want to think about it anymore because I want to think about the story and I want to do my job. So, yeah, at the time, it didn't, it was like, really? This is what we're doing? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That, wow. that happened. Okay. <laughs> You are us. You are us. You are strong. I had to pump in the writer's room because a writer once made a comment about me taking extra time, leaving the room to pump. Are you serious? Wow. So I pumped in the room. I would put a blanket oh over God. and I would pump in the room so I didn't leave the room. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. It was insane. Wow. Those things don't yeah. happen anymore, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. Coming up. How to keep going in Hollywood when you feel like giving up. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, working to create access to opportunity for people and communities by tackling tough social and environmental problems. More information is at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. 
In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. We've been talking this whole chat about all the extra stuff that creatives of color have to deal with. The pressure to make something successful and that resonates because the rest of the community will need that door to be opened. The pressure to represent all the community. The pressure to quietly deal with the systemic racism and just keep smiling every day. Those pressures are frustrating. And a lot of days, you, like other creatives, just want to be creative. And so I'm wondering how you manage both and how you deal with all those pressures while also just like being a person who wants to write, period, a good show. Right. You know, it it varies day to day. I mean, I think I have a really strong support network (laughs) that I lean on very heavily. And Mm. I go to those people to, to, to tell my day and my story and my frustration. And then they help me, you know, calmly work through it. Some days I choose not to think about it, right? Some days the thinking about it feels too heavy and I just have to get the work done. So I choose to compartmentalize that and put that somewhere else so that I can focus on the work. Because at the end of the day, I can't, I'm one person, I can't represent everyone. Another conversation Mm -hmm. that I've been having with with people recently is, you know, with bell hooks just passing away, um, how we're also seeing creators of color die at a much earlier age. Oh yeah. Because all that stress we deal with because quietly. All of that lives. stress, that's right. It's it's so we're losing these valuable voices too early because of this trauma. So what can we do so that it doesn't cost our bodies? Right? Making mm. this work, creating this work doesn't cost our bodies so much. Having those kinds of conversations this is this is the first time that I've really seen the focus on mental health for creators of color be at yeah. the forefront. And I think it's something we all need to talk about so that we can be here longer to see this change that we're working so hard there you go. Yeah. to make. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've had to just like tell myself throughout my career is like, all right, you're experiencing this thing that is not right right now. And maybe you can't have the conversation about how to fix it or whatever because you don't have the power or it's, or you got to just keep going or whatever. But, like, you can file this away. You can save the receipt. And you can come back to it later. Amen. And I think sometimes what needs to happen and what has to happen is, like, the stuff that we just had to put up with when we were on the low end of the ladder. It is okay if when you have power, when you have achieved a certain amount of whatever, you go back to that. And you make it a teachable moment, Mm. not just for the college students you're speaking to, but even for the folks that have harmed you. You know, like it's never too late to tell somebody you did me wrong. And I think that like it can be cleansing and cathartic. And my, my advice to folks that are dealing with this kind of stuff is like it might not be the best time to have the conversation about it right now. But you can have that conversation because a conversation will free you from that trauma or at least help. Well, let me also add, you know, I never tell specifics about some of these Mm. cases because there were good people in those spaces as well. And I don't want to harm, harm them. I had a case where I had said something in an interview 
And I mm-hmm. had a writer uh, who I had worked with previously reach out to me thinking I was talking about him. I, the, the funny part is I wasn't. It was about somebody else. Mm. He, thought, he thought I was talking about him and wrote me a really, really nasty email. Uh. And that email cost me a week of my life. Oh, the, no. the pain, the tears, the reopening of a wound, having that kind of hatred and vitriol coming at you was not good that's for me. hard so yeah. for me i value what you say so much sam i think that's really beautiful but i also think that it's not our job to make these white men who have done us wrong learn it's not our job mm. it mm. and so i don't need the people that have wronged me god bless them i don't mm. need i don't need them if they ever choose to apologize wonderful but i'm not searching for that validation or apology i am moving on with my life because that really taught me a lesson of I don't I don't need the I'm sorry from them. What I need is for the rest of the world to do better. And I'm going to put my energy and focus on that. Yeah. You know, there is a pressure of representation that creatives from marginalized backgrounds feel. And we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. But there is also a pressure sometimes on viewers from these backgrounds. Yeah. I remember, gosh, when I was in high school, there was a crappy Jackie Robinson movie that came out. And every black person was like, if you don't go see this Jackie Robinson movie, they'll never make black movies again. And so, like, these church groups from black churches would, like, get together and go see this crappy movie. And nobody liked it. And that movie did fine. But, like, it didn't drastically help the state of black film. Right? But you feel this pressure. Yeah. If I don't watch this, it won't get made again. What do you say to someone who is, like, I'm Latinx. But X show buying about Latinos is just not for me. And I want to see it do well because I want to see more shows from these types of creators get made. But, like, is the only way to support to sometimes watch a show that I might not identify with? What do you tell them? I Okay, so here's how I feel about this in this moment. This will change hopefully with time. This is honestly how I feel about it right now, okay? Okay. Right now, I feel like any Latino content that's getting made is a member of my family. And I may not, I may not love that member as much as I love another member, but are they going to get my support? They are going to, I'm going to be they out can there come with to the, the Christmas dinner. Oh, I'm going to be waving a flag. I'm going to be standing up. I'm going to be applauding. I'm going to be like, yes, baby, you yeah. get it, baby. You get it. Oh God, they're not very good. They're not very good. Yes, honey, you do it. That's what I'm doing right now. Okay. Internally in the family, internally, we can say, okay, that did not go <laughs> Can we do better? <laughs> what can we do to make that better? But externally, yeah. you're not going to see me say one negative thing. You're not. You're okay. not because right now we are building. So I'm going to be uh. applauding and cheering every Latino creative because if white people get to me- be mediocre, we freaking get to be mediocre too sometimes. There okay? You there you go. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Hey, well, Gloria, thank you so much uh, for the shows that you're making and for the fights that you're fighting. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing, and I hope you uh, come back on this show soon. Likewise, Sam. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Gloria Calderon-Kellett. She is the writer and showrunner of the comedy series With Love. It's out right now on Amazon Prime Video. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Andrea Gutierrez with production help from Anjali Sastry-Kerbacek. And it was edited by Jordana Hochman. All right, listeners, don't forget we are back this Friday with another episode. And for that, we want to hear you share the best thing that happened to you all week. 
record yourself, maybe on your phone, and then just email that file to us at samsanders at npr.org. It's samsanders at npr.org. All right, listeners, till next time, take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.